Rand Siegel, workplace legal expert, investigator, mediator, trainer, and conflict resolution advocate on a mission to create more harmonious workplaces. This is Peace at the Water Cooler, your go-to podcast for saying goodbye to conflict and hello to a more collaborative and happier workplace. Each episode, we will discuss various topics such as working with difficult people, managing toxic behaviors, and how to have those tricky conversations with colleagues. I'm very excited to have Tessa West as my first guest. Tessa is an Associate Professor of Psychology at New York University and is a leading expert in the science of interpersonal communication. We will be discussing her recent book, Jerks at Work, which provides a hands-on guide to tackling everyday problems with difficult people in the workplace. I'm so glad you're here to listen to my podcast. Let's get right into it. Okay, so Tessa, let's dive right in. Why did you decide to write this book? You know, jerks at work is a really funny topic because when we hear the title, people automatically think to themselves, oh, I know that person. Um, you know, I, I talk about seven types and, and they, they cause trauma in everyone who, who reads it and talks to me about it. But the, the reason I actually wrote this was because I had a position of leadership at my job and I had become the jerk at work. And mm. I had become a bulldozer. I, I was on this committee where I was in charge of an office move. And I got very irritated with people for like not showing up on time, not listening, not reading emails. And so I started to just kind of bulldoze through people, ignore their feelings, never ask perspectives. And what was really interesting about the experience, other than me like starting to drink too much and <laughs> get really depressed yeah. about my, yeah. my lack of leadership ability, was that nobody told me. So I, I've been working at NYU for 15 years. I'm married to someone in my department. One of my best friends is in the department. And she came to me one day and said, I just, I'm really worried that when I, when I move offices, it's not going to be the same. And she started crying and I'm like, oh my God, I've just come across this really <laughs> awful and insensitive. And that was a real wake up call for me because I think a lot of us deal with jerks, mm. but we don't know when we're the jerk and we're not very good at confronting, at least not well, the people who are. And I think that a lot of us can go years and years of our lives without realizing that maybe we've overstepped or we've done something that's made someone uncomfortable. And I know I've also gone years without confronting people. And so yeah. I think it's this problem that's kind of always brewing that we're not really good at seeing in ourselves, but we're also just not good at telling other people. So I mm. wanted to write a book that just made the topic more approachable so people felt like they could actually do something about it. Okay, that's that makes a lot of sense. You must have been mortified when you discovered it. I mean, it's not, it's not <laughs> always malicious. I, I agree. Um, look, this, the subject has become more important as we move, you know, into a post-pandemic world, um, as it seems like the great resignation is indeed something that is occurring worldwide. Um, employers want to be part of an organization that demonstrates commitment to their health and well-being, and working with a jerk is certainly not going to promote that. I mean, would you would you agree with this? Yeah, I think that the great resignation is really interesting because people now have options. So we're mm -hmm. seeing people leave the workplace in droves. Initially, we yeah. thought it was because of flexibility. Now we're realizing it's just because they don't want to deal with this nonsense anymore. They're not here for it. Um, so I think it's good that we have options and that we were not as tolerant as we used to be. We're ready to kind of do something about it. 
What's not good is the solution is to just leave because we think the grass is greener. So we're seeing a lot of people making these kind of horizontal moves in the workplace. They're not learning how to have conflict. They're not learning how to tell someone, stop interrupting me or stop stealing my ideas. They're leaving and then they're encountering the same problems over and over again. Um, and it's kind of this cycle that we see where people will work in a place for a couple of months before taking another job. And we just never used to see that. So mm. I think it's, it's complicated. I think it's great. We're paying attention to this. It's not great that we're leaving instead of trying to, to tackle it head on. The balance of power does definitely seem to be shifting. So, yep. I mean, it's, it's interesting. It will be interesting to see what happens. All right. Um, so you've broken down the types of jerks at work into seven categories. So from this credit stealer to the neglectful boss and the gaslighter. What I found fascinating is that you said getting a handle on your jerk is, is sort of like profiling a serial killer. You need to get, <laughs> you I'm need dark. to get into that. <laughs> well, living in New York, as I guess, you know, you, you come across enough crime. I mean, I shouldn't say that, but anyway. So you need, you, we do. You, <laughs> So you need to get into their head to understand and learn what makes them tick and how you choose, you know, how do they choose their victims? So what I, isn't a jerk, a jerk, like why is it important to get inside their head? Why, why categorize? Why, you know? Yeah. Like why, like who cares why yeah. they're doing what they're yeah. doing, right? Yeah. Why should yeah. I think about what their experience is mm. like? What's the benefit of perspective taking? Here's why. I think we often approach these problems with focusing on how they make us feel, um, not why they're doing what they're doing. But the better solutions are usually actually tied to the kind of precursors, the the motivators of behavior. And it's really critical for you to know if your jerk is actually motivated to be a jerk, if they're actually taking advantage of weak systems like kiss up, kick downers, Mm. or if they're the product of those systems, like often micromanagers who mean well, but they're the product of a system. Knowing the answer to that question is going to help you decide what your solution should be and really critically, if you should confront the person or not, if you should confront their boss, who your allies should be, or if you should just cut your losses. And I think a lot of us focus so much on how they make us feel, we forget to think about the world that our jerk is living in and what might perpetuate their behavior that we actually can control a little bit or have a handle on. So the whole serial killer thing is a little bit mm-hmm. like understanding why someone like Jeffrey Dahmer would get away with his behavior. And the yeah. answer was simple people felt uncomfortable telling him no. They felt uncomfortable not walking up the stairs and sitting at that dinner table, even though they knew it was, they had a spidey sense that it was off. Mm. And that's so simple, right? If you just identify that emotion in yourself, they could have survived. Yeah. <laughs> and the yeah. ones that did, yeah. did do yeah. that. And I think the same is true. Mm. You know, the analogy is a little dark, but I think the same mm. is true for jerks. We don't perspective take what, what, why they're doing what they're doing. We just focus on ourselves so much that it blinds us from seeing the right solutions. And yeah, um, that's interesting. So I, you mentioned the micromanagers and I think with the pandemic, what I've seen in my work is that, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely becoming more prevalent. And you mentioned that they're the, actually the most common types of jerks at work um, with around 79% you said of people having been micromanaged at some point. I mean, yeah. I always thought my perception was that it, it, it was about a lack of trust like they, they don't trust you, so they're on your case all the time. I mean, do, do you not agree with that? Do you not believe that? I It, it can be, but I, mm. I think that the problem is more about them than you, and it has not as much to do about lack of trust as um, they are good at their old job, which is your job now. And because yeah. they haven't been trained on how to do a brand new thing called management, 
they're going to oversee the thing that makes them feel comfortable and makes them feel safe which is the job that you probably now hold. And so the micromanagement doesn't stem from like not trusting that you'll do well. It actually stems from making them feel less anxious at work because they can actually manage that position. So when they're bothering you 15 times and they're looking at your work super closely and you're thinking, this person doesn't trust me, what they're thinking is, oh, I'm in a safe space. I actually get this work. I used to do this work. I understand it. I'm going to feel good about myself if I just help this person achieve kind of the best they possibly can. Um, and they have some cognitive biases that play in a little bit. This kind of faith of supervision effect, they sort of falsely believe that mo- more oversight's better. And mm-hmm. a lot of managers think that. And a lot of managers train other managers to think that. Oversight, oversight, oversight all the time, you know, um, or not learning kind of when to pull back and when to actually have that oversight. So I really actually think a lot of micromanagement stems from a micromanager's learning their own emotion regulation strategies to decrease their own anxiety. Um, And that's micromanaging you so that they feel better. And they're often kind of a product of a culture of fear at work or their manager isn't giving them clear guidelines. They don't even know what they're supposed to be doing all day. They have a neglectful boss who hasn't taught them Mm -hmm. anything. So they go into their safe space, which just happens to be your job (laughs) because they held that at one point and you're, you're like in this bad position of inheriting their old job. Right. Mm -hmm. And, And that is not a trust issue. It's like, Oh, they found their comfort zone, right? It's like people going back to high school who used to be cool and going to the reunion and be like, I'm a loser as an adult, but I feel awesome here because I <laughs> killed it in high school. It's a little like that for a micromanager. Yeah. Okay. But it takes a conversation. You can't just ignore it. I mean, it's not going to just go away. You need to, as you say, find your voice and talk you about it. You have to confront yeah. well, mm. and I feel like um, – confrontation is good. It's important. We need it in our marriages and our relationships with our kids. We need it at work too, but there's definitely an art to it. And I think most of us have no idea what that looks like. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, leading with someone's strengths instead of their weaknesses, telling them what you want them to do more of, not just less of focusing on very specific behaviors, not on your feelings. Like these are all things that go against intuition or hard um, that take a lot of practice. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's talk about the bulldozer, which is what I come across. That's the kind of person I really come across very often um, in my line of work. Is this another name for a bully? Um, I think it depends on the kind of bulldozer. So the more sinister bully-like bulldozer is the one that has some power, or at least they used to, and they don't like not getting their way. And so they're very savvy about shutting things down, often by questioning processes instead of outcomes. Um, so I've dealt like I've dealt with someone like this at work who would say, "Oh, we had a vote, but no one really knew what they were voting on, and we didn't have enough time to discuss things." And I'm really uncertain that you know we we should have moved forward. And that sounds like you care. It sounds like you're mm. like pro democratic process, but really it's just a stalling tool for bulldozers to go behind the scenes thwart people's efforts, bully people into siding with them kind of outside of the the room that they're in when they do these things, when they have these meetings, that to me is more sinister. And I call that bullying behavior. I really think it is, especially when you're taking advantage of leaders who are trusting of people or maybe Mm, don't like mm. to have conflict a lot. So that, that I think is bullying. The kind of bulldozer that just talks all the time and like doesn't know when to shut up has no inner monologue, you know, Mm. thinks out loud for 20 minutes. I see that less of bullying behavior and more of like a complete lack of self-awareness of how you come across. And that's very common. Yeah. And like maybe a healthy dose Mm. of emotional intelligence training or something could, could help someone like that. Um, 
Okay. And so you talk a lot about, um, in your book, about finding allies, cultivating friendships at work. I mean, I recently had a case where, I'll just tell you briefly, the CEO was, uh, she was the bully. Uh, she was an awful, awful, it was a, a, a not-for-profit organization, and she would, her leadership skills were absolutely appalling. She criticized, she would talk over people, uh, belittle. And the worst thing is that, I mean, she was really very good at her job. The technically, the technical aspects, no one could replace her because she had been there for 20 years. She was just brilliant at her job, but she just could not deal yeah. with people. And the board of uh, the executive board was on her head. You know, she had their full support. So the one person who decided to take her on, uh, she was very brave, but ultimately she could not get anyone to back her. And, and you know, when I came in and did my investigation, no, everyone was terrified. No one would speak out against her. So it, it was it, it was a very sad case, and she ultimately, the person who lodged the grievance, ultimately left the organisation. So what do you do in a situation like that? I mean, besides leaving, is there is there any option? It's hard, I know. It is really hard when someone has an amazing technical skills. So we see this a lot, and in fact, it kind of falls into this realm of failing up, which is yeah. in the air right now. Like, what does it mean to fail up? It can mean that you're really good at your job, but your people skills are just mm. terrible and you have no empathy and you can't lead, you know, all of those things. But if you're surrounded by like a pocket of people who support you at the top, it is really hard to pull a person like that out. The best way to convince leaders to care, and I don't know if it would, it would have worked here, but this does work in some organizations, mm. is if they think the problem is widespread enough, then it's going to create like a cascading effect of exodus. So if it's just one person who has a problem with them and they're kind of fighting everybody, that tends to not really change these leaders at the top for bullies. It doesn't really get them out. What does get them out is when there's a whole conglomerate of people, a large group of people who've gotten together and said, this person is problematic. It's creating you know, culture change here that isn't good. It's creating contagion of you know, distrust or unethical behavior, widespread scares people in power and all norm change scares people in power. But if it's yeah. just one or two people who are pissed off, nothing usually happens. And so a lot of the, the allies I talk about in my book are what we call social reference. So these aren't even necessarily super powerful people or popular people. They're well-connected people. So if you're the target of someone like this, you need to find victims who are at arm's length, who are outside of your immediate circle, who maybe used to work with this leader, but changed teams. You know, all of these kind of people that are widespread throughout our network, you need to connect to those folks and social reference will usually help you form those connections, even if they can't help you do anything about it. So widespread, if it's like a disease, organizations mm. care about it. If it's a one thing, you know, one, one person illness, they don't. And so the best bet is just to try to spread it, <laughs> make yeah, it at least yeah, create yeah. The, the impression that this is, you're going to have like a huge culture problem on your hands. Maybe not at Exodus today, mm. but probably tomorrow. And then the whole house yeah. of cards is going to fall down if you don't yeah. get this person out. Yeah. Because toxicity spreads. It doesn't go away. It's just, you know, it permeates the environment. Absolutely. Um, there was something oh, I, I, in, in one of your categories, I think it was a kiss up, kiss downer. Uh, when, um, will you just explain to, to the listeners what, what that actually is? And then I'll ask you the question. Yeah. So the kiss up, kick downer is that person who is really good at their job. Actually sounds a little bit like <laughs> the person we just talked about. They're technically <laughs> yeah. good. The people in power like them, 
-hmm. but they are Machiavelli and they are willing to do anything they can to get ahead. And, you know, if you're on the receiving end of this, usually comes in the form of kind of um, subtle slights or public shaming. So I, I talked to someone who's victimized by one of these folks and they would say to the boss that the victim's name was Tom and they'd say to the boss, oh, I really wish I could, you know, say good morning to Tom, but he just seems to be about an hour late every day now. Have you noticed um. that? Like little <laughs> things like that to tear people down. I sold shoes at a high-end department store in college and my kiss up kick downer would say to customers like, she doesn't really know what she's talking about. You know, you should probably work with an expert to steal my sales or, you know, little sites like that. Very they passive don't aggressive. Yeah. Passive mm, aggressive, mm. a little rude. And then, and then you freak out eventually. And then they're like, whoa, why are you so sensitive? <laughs> you know, why are you overreacting? And you complain to the boss and the boss is like, look, you're jealous. I get it. Mm. They're really good. And you're not, but grow up. <laughs> so, so that is what it feels like to deal with. And you had so. that conversation, didn't you? You, you complained about this shoe person who was uh, walking all over everyone and, yeah. and they, it was a really bad well. experience. It didn't go yeah. well, especially in sales. It's like, you have to have a thick skin. You need to figure out how to outsmart this person, you know, um, so what would have been, what would have been the correct approach? What be, if you could so, do it again? If I could do it again, um, and I eventually learned this was, um, I found a bunch of people who used to work with this person. So the funny thing about department stores is if you don't like someone that you work with, you can kind of just transfer to like a different part of the store. Mm -hmm. Um, and that happens a lot. There's a lot of turnover, not from the actual company, but within departments. And so I found people who used to work with this guy, Dave, and, they were like, oh, he, you know, he did this thing to me. He did that thing to me. And because they were no longer kind of in the same department as him, didn't have to get along with him. They're actually willing to help me out. So I brought a couple of these folks, you know, with me and they were, it took 20 minutes and we came to the boss and I'm like, look, I know you think I'm complaining, but here are, here are the last three things this person did. And these are some people who used to work with Dave and they've had similar complaints. Um, and I actually didn't meet these folks directly. I met them through a lot of department stores have like in-house coffee shops and the person who yeah. worked there knew everybody. He knew everybody that it's mm -hmm. like the tech guys in, <laughs> in a lot of organizations, yeah. they've seen all the computers, you know, it's, it's a little like that. And, and then all of a sudden she sort of freaked out because if you look like a manager who's ignoring toxicity at work, who's mm -hmm. allowing someone to do this and they're all going around and saying this person's toxic and our manager didn't do anything about it. Then all of a sudden she cared. I don't think she actually cared about his behavior. She cared about her own reputation yeah, as being yeah. a manager who doesn't give a crap yeah. <laughs> about employees. And yeah. that's just as yeah. bad. <laughs> Absolutely. So it made her take some steps. Obviously. Made her nervous. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, that's interesting. So do you think the crux is that it, it, it falls down to the leadership of an organization? So it, it needs to come from the top. And sometimes that's very hard, you know, to, to get leaders to get off their behinds and, you know, make changes for the good of the organization, for the good of the employees. How do we change that? Yeah, I think it's really hard. I think, I don't think it's that leaders don't care. I actually just mm -hmm. think their answer is usually I have a million things on my plate. You have to give me a reason why this matters. And I think that reason is usually it's going to harm you if you don't pay attention. And so I think that first off, I think that, yes, it's great if the senior leadership is on board, but for a lot of these things, they don't necessarily have to be, but your people, the same level as you on your teams, 
that you work with day to day, they need to be. So you, there's a lot of roles that you can play, you know, creating systems of checks and balances, making invisible labor that you do at home. If you work remotely clear, invisible, having, you know, um, detecting free riders by looking at work people do that they don't agree to do. And, you know, keeping track of work for credit stealing, all those things can be done internally, even if you don't have buy-in from the top. But Mm -hmm. I think at the top, there's small things that leaders can do that they don't realize that actually make their lives easier instead of harder that don't actually take extra time. Um, And I think if you focus on kind of daily small changes, I'm working with an organization now where the leaders are like, diversity and inclusion, how do we do it? I'm like, step one, write emails that are very clear. Say to people why you want to meet with them, not just that you want to meet with them and it will reduce their anxiety and uncertainty and get them more engaged. They're like, oh, and I'm like, it's actually fewer words, Mm. (laughs) you know, 10, 50 words, do it in 50 words or, you know, be the last person to speak or call on junior people, like things that aren't extra, extra, you know, asks, Mm. but they're simple. Um, and I think a lot of leaders accidentally promote jerks just because they're doing things like handing off communications to kiss up mm. kick downers instead of meeting with people directly. That's an easy fix, but they yeah. don't think that it's going to be a problem. So yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's hard if the leaders uh, don't care. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it you absolutely make them care. is. Yeah. I think that you're right. You need to make, make it, you know, if, if they know it's ultimately going to affect the bottom line, uh, then I think yep. they'll start caring and that, you know, that's where the great resignation and attraction and yeah. retention of talent is, you know. All yeah, right, turnover so, is expensive. <laughs> it costs yeah. a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So just uh, look, you've given us a lot of valuable information. Just if someone is listening and is struggling at work with a jerk, what just your three or whatever your top tips to, to them? Yeah. I think the first thing that you need to think about is, is this behavior intentional or not? Do you think they're actually motivated to do this? If they are, then you're going to have to not direct them confrontly, but but kind of go around and either confront their boss or your boss. Knowing motivation is really key. So I think if you're to create kind of like a tree, a decision tree here is, are they motivated to do this? Are they actually trying to be a jerk? Or does this seem like behavior they're not super aware of? Then I think the next step is to really just say to yourself, okay, I'm ready to confront either their boss or them directly. How do I do that? You know, how do I have that conversation? And one thing I recommend people do, and this goes against intuition, is you need to have a lot of small confrontations, not big ones once a week or once a month. Small little things where you focus on very specific behaviors, not on how you feel and not on why the person did what they were doing, just exactly what they did and why you think that was a problem. And I think Once you do that, it's a lot less scary to confront people. They feel less threatened. You feel less anxious. Leave your feelings at the door for now. Don't tell them that they don't trust you or they're smothering you or whatever you're feeling. Leave it at the door. Just focus on those things. And I think, and then at the end, I recommend everyone ask for feedback from their jerk, even if they don't want it. Do you have any feedback from me? You know, that goes a long way to making your jerk think, oh, This isn't just them attacking me, Mm. you know, and they probably do. You probably don't care to hear it, but it actually builds rapport when you do that. And I think our goal is to actually figure this stuff out 
not have to hide under our desks or leave jobs all the time. And yeah. so it behooves us to bite the bullet and tell them things about them mm -hmm. that we like that they do well or ask them for this feedback. Um, I've had to do this for people where I really didn't care what they thought of me, but it made them feel good. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, they were nicer yeah. to me because of it. Yeah, You know, yeah. that little thing, it just, it, mm. it takes the sting away. Um, mm. So those are kind of just some quick pieces of advice for if you're in this, this so position. Just so you would always recommend talking to the jerk before going over their head to HR or? Um, I don't recommend confronting kiss-up, kick-downers head-on because they will just out-game you. I do recommend confronting like micromanagers and free riders and, you know, often credit stealers. Um, definitely not gaslighters because they will yeah. also out-game you. Yeah. So I think you really have to know kind of, what type you of dealing you're with? dealing with. Yeah. But, but yeah. definitely don't assume that going over the head is the best strategy. In fact, that mm. can often backfire either for you because the boss is like, you're making a mountain out of a molehill mm. or for your relationships at work. People are mm. like, whoa, that person just tells on yeah. all, everybody, yeah. you yeah. know, and that's not good either. Yeah. No, that's very true. All right. Well, I'm in your book. Yes, your book. Uh, uh, um, you can see. I've, I've wow. You're reading it. There's little, there's little tabs in there. <laughs> I'm impressed. I've gone through it very well. And I will absolutely be using in in, in my line of work. I mean, I will be using your a lot of your strategies because I found them extremely useful. Um, how do people get hold of you or how, get hold of your book? Is there... Yeah, you can go to my website, which is tessawestauthor.com, and there's there's links to um, my book. There's links to my quizzes that are in the book. You can take them and get immediate feedback if you want on whether you're a jerk or what kind of ally you are, um, and also how you can purchase the book. Okay, that's great. Well, uh, it, it was really great uh, talking to you, meeting yeah, you face-to-face. Face. And um, thanks, Tessa. Sure. We'll, we'll, we'll be in touch. Sounds good. Good luck with everything. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Peace at the Water Cooler. If you have enjoyed it, please share it with someone who might get something out of it. You can also subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on so that you know when the next episode becomes available. If there is a particular topic you'd like to hear about, please don't hesitate to drop me a line and I'll, I'll do my best to get it to you. Till next time. Cheers.